Welcome to the Food-Minded Fellow podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Smith. This week, I caught up with a multi-generational islander who left briefly, only to be called back by her family and spiritual connection to the island. Hi, I'm Lydia Fisher. I grew up on Martha's Vineyard in Akuna. I'm a 13th generation islander. Um, my dad is a caretaker. I grew up in Aquinnah on the Kennedy property, which he managed for about 35 years. And my mom's a nurse at the hospital, who, and she's Italian. So uh, food has always been a part of my life, whether I wanted it to be or not. Lydia grew up in an agrarian community, in the truest sense of the word. Growing up on the island, I feel like growing food was just kind of always in the background as kind of something that you learn to do. Everybody learns how to ride a bike and we learned how to grow carrots and uh, it was kind of a part of, though me and my sister were, I wouldn't say were great at chores, it was definitely a part of uh, gotta go help dad weed something or help mom in the flower garden or whatever it would be. Um, but yeah, my dad would hunt in the winter times, uh, fish in the summer times, and we were really fortunate to eat a lot of food that came from this place. Um, but then also I had people who cooked well around me. My dad's a very good cook. My mom is Italian and a fantastic cook. My brother is a professional chef. Um, and so food has always been really important in my life. I enjoy it personally. Um, but I do think it tastes better when you grow it yourself. She was fortunate as a child because her family owned a farm. Her father's sister, Marie, uh, ran Beetlebung Farm for around 30 years uh, on my grandparents' property, Albert and Rena Fisher, or fondly Ozzy Fisher, my poppy and Gaga. And yeah, it became a legacy of our family. After her grandfather purchased the land near Beetlebung Corner, they quickly found ways to put it to use. My grandmother was a hairdresser, and there was a field that he cleared to grow flowers to sell to her clients. And that's kind of how the, the farming kind of started there. My aunt was interested in growing food, and my poppy cleared a spot for her, and she joked that every year he cleared more land for her to the point where she told him that he had to stop because she couldn't manage all of that. Um, and yeah, it, it became a cornerstone of Chilmark, it being located right on Beetlebung Corner. Um, the farm stand there was very prosperous throughout her running it, and then when my brother took over it for about 10 years after her, um, deciding to, she took time to take care of her parents who were growing older, um, and handed the reins off to him. As all of this was going on, Lydia found herself drawn away from the island in search of something else. My trajectory, I never was directly in, interested in agriculture or growing food or even living here. Uh, in high school, I was really interested in music and, you know, senioritis kicks around and you're ready to leave the rock, so to speak. Colloquially, Many people refer to Martha's Vineyard as the rock. Uh, always had little kid dreams of living in New York City and being a rock star. And uh, was really fortunate enough to get into Berklee College of Music in Boston. And spent four years there. And did end up moving to New York after school for a solid four years. And um, 
went through a pretty insane life experience and like quarter life crisis, so to speak, of realizing that that wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, I didn't have the heart for turning my music into a career, though music is still a really important part of me. And I'm very flattered across the island. People ask me what I'm doing with my music. And what I'm doing with my music is very personal. And I do gigs here and there. I'm not great about advertising them. I do hope that that multiplies in the future, but I didn't realize this other passion that I had. Um, and that was also kind of discovered serendipitously. Throughout her time in New York, she would come back to the island to visit. And members of her family would offer inspiration that would eventually lead to her role as a farmer on the island. I had told my brother, you know, I, was, I so admired what he was doing at the farm between taking it on from my aunt and turning it into his own thing. But then also, I believe, kind of his first farm-to-table project, besides just doing it private, like private chefing, uh, was when he was the chef at the Beach Plum Inn which is very much right down the road from Beetlebong Farm. So um, all of that food going directly into a restaurant setting, um, when I would visit from New York, it was magical. It was so cool. When Lydia lived in New York, she experienced almost a stigma around coming from a place as mythical as Martha's Vineyard. Though the perception of Martha's Vineyard is really strange because I think that, if I'm going to be frank, the image that people get is of one town, which is Egertown. And I didn't spend hardly any time in Egertown growing up, so I don't really relate to the khakis and pastels and the salmon shorts uh, that people so fondly or not refer to the vineyard as being the home of. Uh, and yeah, I did find that when I lived in New York or when I lived in Boston, that to mention I was from Martha's Vineyard, it was a mumbled, I'm from because the general perception is, oh, like you must have a lot of money or you must um, be pretentious. I don't know. It's not a nice thing to say because, because there's plenty of wealthy people here that I've met who aren't that way. She began to realize that the reasons that she left for New York were the same reasons that she needed to move home. I left the island because... I wanted to be anonymous. I wanted to try different foods. And I wanted to experience like a different type of community. Um, and then the reasons that I moved back to the island was I wanted my old community back. I wanted support from people that I knew and that I grew up with. And the food that we have here is like nowhere else. Oh, I just teared up. It really is. like. I'm so much healthier eating the food here than trying to eat in New York. I don't know what it's like to grow up in New York, but in the areas of Brooklyn that I did live in, Key Foods being one of the closest grocery stores, it's I wouldn't buy produce there. And it could be perceived in a snobbish way, but that's just not what vegetables are to me. She had grown up eating vegetables that were raised by her family. And family dinners were a cornerstone of her childhood. 
I was really fortunate to have a family that sat down and ate dinner together every night. And I know that not even every person on the vineyard has that, but that was something that was enforced in our family. Again, being a dinner that was, for the most part, grown here most of the time, at least in the summer times. <laughs> and I searched for that type of food-related community in New York. And though she had many friends who considered themselves foodies, it was like pulling teeth to have someone bring a homemade dish to a potluck dinner. And so I moved back here on a whim. I had stumbled into working in television casting and was making really good money and thought maybe it would recolor my experience there. But I found myself without work one August and just applied to Morning Glory Farm on a whim, knowing I had a lot of friends that had worked there and it being a really big crew with a lot of departments that I could really kind of steer myself into a focus if I wanted, or um, that I could just get my hands dirty in the clean dirt again. Uh, and I applied on a Friday. I got an email back three, hour, three hours later saying, we'd love to have you start on Monday if you're free. I came back on Sunday, started on Monday. And by that Wednesday, my good friend Lydia Sylvia dropped me off in the tomato field to harvest sun golds by myself. And I found myself tearing up. I was like, this is what I want to do forever. That experience made a lasting impression in more than one way. Tomatoes have become my favorite crop. And I don't know if that's just because it was where I got dumped when I first started back here. But um, I joke that they're a very high-maintenance plant. And I'm a very high-maintenance person to a degree. <laughs> Once Lydia recognized that farming was the life for her, it was time to start working on her own project. You know, I started at Morning Glory, and it was kind of hard to transition out of there into starting my own project, but... She's received nothing but support from the local community, including Morning Glory Farms. Simon Athern, who's the CEO there, uh, his, his actually his, his family house is right down the road from my farm. They've moved their flower production for Morning Glory Farm over to his house. And I stop in there all the time to, I mean, see what they're doing, but I know that I can pick his brain or borrow a tool. I consider him a mentor of mine. When she had first started farming at Morning Glory, she had no intention of making it a career. I had originally applied to Morning Glory because I really thought that I was going to be here for a month and I was going back to New York. And... As much as I would have loved to go and work for my brother, I just really wanted to be um, permanent in wherever I was going to be and didn't want to lend him a hand without knowing that I was going to be committed to. Because it, it's different when it's a family farm. It's, it's about commitment. You have to be out there every day. I worked at Morning Glory for a year when I decided that I wasn't going back to New York. The next season... I acquired housing in a shack on the Beetlebung Farm property, my family's property, um, through my brother and I was working part-time at Morning Glory and part-time at Beetlebung. And it just kind of became this gradual shift. My brother was spending more and more time in New York um, and there came a time where he asked if I had an interest in taking over the management of the farm, um, which I was completely honored by. and. It really showed me that he believed that I could was up for it and that I, that I could do it. Um, and I knew I could do it too, even though it was like a huge chunk to bite off. Um, 
So me and my good friend Kat Monteroso worked the fields that spring together. It was a tremendous amount of work, but... It was magical. I mean, to work soil that my grandfather had walked through, my aunt had walked through, my brother had walked through, so many countless family members had worked, and just kind of having these chattering voices around of what once was, and like that I was continuing that was was so super, super special to me. And then definitely with in the background, my grandmother um, was turning 103, and we all knew that once she passed that we were going to have to sell the farm. Um, the family had taken out a reverse mortgage on the property to pay for her 24-7 live-in care, which she had been receiving for five-plus years. So it was no surprise, though I still was kind of shocked when she did die, because I think we kind of all joked that she was going to outlive us, all of us. I would not have been surprised if she lived until she was 110. Unfortunately, her grandmother passed away shortly after she took the reins at Beetlebong Farm. That day came uh, the August of my first year managing the farm and kind of hit me a little hard. But there was a certain magic in it. I moved into the farmhouse after she passed um, out of request by her caretaker who was going to be there for another week and was feeling really lonely. And when she left, she said, you know, Lydia, you should live in this house. This is your grandmother's house. Like, you should be living in here. And um, it was really hard, but I wouldn't replace that experience for anything. You know, I was the last family member to live in that house. And, you know, as we were packing it up and going through everything and filling dumpsters and um, giving things to certain family members and having estate sales to kind of pull all of their belongings out and like see it all in its physicality and be walking through it every day. Um, it was distracting from farming, um, but it was really like spiritually special. And I would oftentimes catch myself stopping and like remembering something from when I was a kid. And it was very often when I would walk out the back door of that house, we had a pool there when I was a kid because Gaga really wanted a pool because she wanted the grandchildren to come and be hanging out at the property. Um, so that was a huge staple of my childhood was going to the Chilmark Community Center camp and running over for lunch with all the farm workers and then like jumping in the pool. So to walk out that door, the pool's no longer really a pool. It was just kind of a pit. But you would just sometimes like walk out the back door and I could hear Poppy laughing and I could see the people sitting at the picnic table and the little, we always had really weird napkin tins. I could see the napkin tins um, and you could see people splashing in the pool and I would just like force myself to stop and like really resonate in that memory or just take it all in because it was all going to be gone soon. This loss was a major distraction, but she still had responsibilities on the farm to attend to. So basically when it was confirmed that the farm was going to sell, I was still doing fall market at the Grange Hall for Beetlebung, and my second cousin, Emily Fisher, approached me. She um, and her family own Flat Point Farm in West Tisbury, and she raises goats and makes goat milk soap and has a stand at farmer's market a few stalls down from mine. And she came up and asked me what my plans were for the next season. 
and then I said I wasn't really quite sure that I was looking into land bank stuff that I was considering applying to Beetlebung, but as a friend so fondly put it, it's kind of like a breakup. It's like, I love you and I care for you. I might even want to be with you, but it's just too hard right now. As she began to weigh her options, a very special opportunity came her way. Emily told me that they had just been having kind of a general discussion around the dinner table of this plot that her father, Arnie, my cousin Arnie, had farmed in for a good 10, 15 years and that she and her husband had been growing some things uh, the year prior, but that it was no, it wasn't the project that her dad had had there by any means in terms of um, the size that it could be. Um, and if I had an interest. And I mean, I was so humbled, but again, not surprised because that's like what we do here. Somebody told me a long time ago to go where you're wanted. And so I was flattered. I felt like they wanted me to be here. And yeah, they're my second cousins. So they're distant cousins of mine and they've always been at family gatherings and things. But I mean, it's, I'm, I'm practically speechless. I mean, they had no reason to offer this to me other than the fact that they saw what I was doing. They knew I could do it and they wanted me to have the avenue to do it. Um, so I said, yeah, I'm totally interested. <laughs> and, uh, and she said, well, I'll bring it up more seriously the next time we talk about it. And they kind of just said, you know, it's yours. There's something uniquely old school about this kind of community and family support. And it unifies the community on Martha's Vineyard. What's special about farming on the island, specifically with smaller farms, is that it is sustainable. I, I've said many times to people that I know that I couldn't do what I do here if it wasn't about for this community and what this community harbors. Um, it's definitely not for everybody, but we are a seasonal community here. And what that means is that our population in the summertime multiplies by at least 12. Um, and a huge part of the vineyard, I think that people seek, is this type of small town farming and fishing. Um, it's an aesthetic that has been able to be sustained through people that are passionate about it, that grew up with it but then also people that want to go to farm stands and buy food from their farmer and meet their farmers. And uh, I meet all people all the time from all parts of the world that come to farmer's market that tell me like, this is the best whatever that I've ever eaten. And it's so special to them. And it makes it special to me because I'll see this same beautiful fruit that they're talking about 15 times that day. But uh, they've never seen food like that before. Lydia feels as though she's almost a part of the fabric of the island. She's consumed its nutrients and bounty for years, and her family for generations. I think about how much nutrient I've absorbed from this specific earth. And then to grow that for my community and give people that same experience. Um feels really spiritual in a weird way. So like, I feel a certain energy from growing and consuming this food that I don't think I could have anywhere else. Nor if I tried to replicate it, it's impossible. It's, be it's because of my chemical makeup of being raised here, of it's literally in my blood. 
Beyond Lydia's deep spiritual and family connections to the island, the community itself has been profoundly supportive. Farming on the island, what's really unique about it is that it's not competitive, at least not in my experience. And one would think, you know, there's a lot of really small farms on the vineyard and also even farms that are just solo managed like myself. And you would think that that would draw a comparison in some way of like, well, this person's doing the same thing as Lydia Fisher and, you know, what does that mean? Or if the farms are located in the same areas that you're minimizing your clientele. But what she found was something different. It's extremely supportive, but it's also collaborative. Uh, And for me, since the very beginning, I I could list a half a dozen names of the people who I barely knew that helped me out. When I asked Lydia about growing up on Martha's Vineyard, she was quick to point out that her experiences are unique, and not everyone grows up the same way on the island. I know that I personally had a completely different experience growing up on the vineyard, growing up up island, versus those who grew up in Egertown, Oak Bluffs, Vineyard Haven, which are the town towns. We live in farm town. West Hisbert, you know, up island, tri-town, whatever you want to call it. Um, Oh, this is where all the magic happens. I might be biased, but I think that Aquina is the most beautiful town on Martha's Vineyard, and it's largely because it's mostly untouched. Um, I hope it stays that way. But yeah, this place is really special, and it's not what people perceive it to be, especially because the perception, whether it be a stereotype or not, of what the vineyard is, um, is only what the vineyard is for a really short period of time four or five months, um, six months if you want to stretch it. But then the other half of that six months is, it's cold, people are a little bit more secluded, but um, you can go into the grocery store and you're gonna say hi to two of your cousins and five of your neighbors. And uh, one quick story, the other day my dad went to the grocery store and he forgot his shoes and uh, He just sat in his truck and waited until he saw a friend that would go inside and buy bread for him because he wanted to make PB&Js on his fishing trip the next day. I mean, there's nowhere else in the world that you know you can sit in your truck and your friend's going to come along. I mean, it's special and it's a special type of community and I'm sure my dad's friend gave him hell for it. But um, yeah, it's just a different experience here. Even though she has deep family ties, she sees it as a privilege to live on the island. I, yeah, I can't say it enough. I could never do what I do without this community and having a big family here for sure. I mean, I, I try to check my privilege about that all the time. Even if you don't have land here and you live here, you're extremely privileged to live here in this community. After finding her passion and honing her skills, she's found that a specific subset is the perfect outlet for her small production. I feel like my experience with having great cooks in my family and my brother being a chef is I really love growing food for chefs. Though she does sell at the farmer's market, she doesn't currently have a farm stand and there's a short window to deal with fresh produce before it spoils. It can be a two or three day window for certain crops of if I pick this now, this has to go somewhere. In a situation like this, it's important to figure out some sort of marketing strategy. So Lydia got to thinking. What is going to make you noticed? So for me, I like to grow really pretty food. I like to grow boutique type vegetables. Um, 
I could see how maybe some people think that's a little bit kitschy, so to speak, but the emphasis is more so on that it tastes good. So I'll try new things that I think look pretty, but if they don't taste good, I'm not growing it the next year. As a chef, I'm always looking for something else to work with. At moments in the summer, it's difficult to find diversity among the crops from our different farms. But Lydia is willing to take the time to experiment and work on producing some new ingredients for us to work with. My biggest surprise this year was the Mexican sour gherkin cucumber, uh, or more fondly called cucamelon, which is a tiny little sour cucumber that looks just like a watermelon, but snow size bigger than a grape. This year, she decided to set aside one of the island's common crops in order to experiment with these little cucumbers. I hate harvesting beans. It's backbreaking. It takes forever, and you have to do it every day, or you're just going to lose your whole crop. Everything's going to get overgrown. The pods are going to be tough. Um, it's not going to encourage new growth. And I frankly just don't like them very much. <laughs> so I was like, I know that this plant is going to be a tough thing to harvest, a tough thing to potentially maintain. I might not get that much out of it. Um, but boy, was I surprised. It, it was a very well-producing plant. She found herself spending hours each week harvesting their bounty. And a more exotic crop creates a much larger demand. What was really special about it is that they tasted awesome. They tasted awesome, they looked awesome, and it was the number one thing that brought people to my farmer's market stand. What is that? Please try one. Let me get some. You know, and creating those relationships with people, having people try new food, um, that's like really what brings me joy from it. Is, is, yes, I love the solitude of farming and kind of the meditative spirit of it and how it forces me to connect with the earth and with myself, especially being by myself most of the time farming. Um, but then when you bring it to market, hyper-socialized environment, um, I'm so excited to talk about it. And it makes other people excited. And, and it just it's a ripple effect of just excitement. So I love it. As she looks to next year. I really look forward to next season to not be restarting a farm again, as I have for the last two years. Um, but there was growth that happened. As she looks to the future, she hopes to sustain this growth. Let me tell you why I called my new project the Garden Farm. One most fondly is my Aunt Marie, when she ran Beetlebung Farm, uh, always fondly referenced working as being, I'm in the garden. Oh, I'm in the garden today, or meet me at the garden, or... Um, and part of it is like an ode to her, but then also I have another small garden space over at my landlord, Tom Hodgson's place, um, that he's given me a little section of his garden where I have my Brussels sprouts and celery. I grew um, cabbage there as well as radicchio. Um, and I do see that as this farm project expands, I hope to have little gardens in other places. Um, so it's just kind of that idea of um, a mixture of nostalgia, but then the practicality of it all. And I definitely um, can tend to be a more corny, uh, dad joke, pun driven person. So the garden farm just kind of felt really right for me. <laughs> We've all heard the expression, food is love. 
And this idea is evident in every piece of produce that is fortunate enough to be raised by Lydia. To find out more about Lydia Fisher and the Garden Farm, you can visit my website, foodmindedfellow.com, and search for the episode on the podcast page. While you're there, you can learn more about my private chef services on Martha's Vineyard, read some articles that I've written about fishing and cooking on Martha's Vineyard, as well as check out my merch store. Tune in next week when I visit Mermaid Farm and make cheese with Jessica Miller. This podcast was funded in part by the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism.